Hello, my friends. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Let's get going. I have a long way to go. I have several things I want to communicate to you in this case study that I want to share with you about a couple who has communication problems. If you want to read this case study, I would love for you to do it. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for the article titled, Learning How to Trust God with Your Communication Problems. I want to get into a technical aspect of counseling when you're working with two people who have communication problems. So I want to talk carefully. I want to talk clearly. And again, all this is written out. And so you're welcome to read all that I'm going to share with you. But communication problems is a common scenario that people present, whether it's in counseling or or virtually any other context, when a couple uh, talks about the things that they struggle with. They will talk about communication problems, and as I'm going to make a strong case that communication problems are the secondary issue in the challenges that they are facing. And if you want to help them, then you have to learn how to technically move below the surface of their lives and begin to identify some of the historic shaping influences that have molded them into the particular person that they are. Are, which is the reason that they communicate the way that they do. If you try to help them on the surface level by giving them 10 communication habits or three, te- three tips to talk better or, or whatever, those things will not bring life-changing transformation into their life because they haven't dealt with the problem at the root or the causal core. And so this podcast will be informative highly technical, purely biblical, and I have a lot of resources embedded in the article if you want to uh, get into those resources, including a one-hour webinar that you are welcome to watch. The title, again, Learning How to Trust God with Your Communication Problems. There is a problem trusting God when His ways seem foolish And we have a well-worn habit of getting what we want through our self-reliant means. And if you have spent two, three, four, or five decades, you're 40 years old, and and you spent three-plus decades of shaping influences, these historical patterns in your life that's molded you like a piece of clay— to be a certain way, then that is what's comfortable for you. That is your kinesthetic habit that you default to, and that seems wise. That's the way that you have always done it. But if it's sinful, well, then there is a problem, and you have to trust God. And that's why I say a person who's making these dynamic changes in their life from their well-worn historical pattern to trusting God— Well, trusting God His way does seem foolish compared to our well-worn habits. Of course, when we do choose human wisdom and human strength over the foolishness of God and the weakness of God, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 1, it will have a debilitating effect to keep doing it the way that we have always done it. So in this case study, I want to present to you how trusting God practically can alter your relationships. And so, without further ado, let me, let's take a deep dive into the hearts of our good old friends, Biff and Mabel. I have laid out this case study into eight parts. 
And so, and they're in a a sequential order. And so, again, you can read this as I'm sharing it with you. If you want to go back, you can read the article, and that'd be fine. Point number one of eight is titled Ideal Counseling. Biff and Mabel came to counseling to get help for their communication problem. They have been married for 17 years, and though they generally like each other, their marriage has not been as it should be for most of those years. And while they admit this, they are at a loss about how to repair the brokenness between them. One of the beautiful things about this type of counseling session is that Bill and Mabel recognize they have a problem and they want to do something about it. Mabel said it this way, We don't want to be empty nesters who can't stand each other. We want to fix it now, not 10 years from now. And that's why I titled the first part here of the eight that I'm going to share with you, Ideal Counseling. This is an ideal counseling situation. Though there are problems, they have not let the issues go past the point of return. You could say that their present dysfunction is God's future mercy to them. And what I mean by that is, could it be that God is permitting such and such into your life, this challenge or or that problem as a way of gathering your attention around it so that you can work on the problem, resolve the problem so that you can experience future mercy? Uh, future mercy, future grace would be a, a marriage as Mabel desires, They want to fix it now, not 10 years from now. And so maybe 10 years from now, they could be in a better place. And so that is a future mercy, no question. And so maybe it would be good for some of us to look at our problems as as God's present mercy so that we can enjoy a different kind of future mercy. Imagine if they did not rectify the problems today. Decades from now, assuming they stay together, would be the accumulative frustration, the bitterness, the hopelessness that accompanies too many couples who don't do the hard work of changing. If your marriage is challenging, you may find yourself in this fictional case study that I'm sharing with you. If both of you are willing to do the hard work of change, you're well on your way out of what keeps you from enjoying each other today. And if you're not this ideal couple, I would I would ask you before you can even go into a, a podcast like this, you have to do some prerequisite work. You need to get to that place to where you can be this ideal couple where both of you humbly want to work on your problems. Point number one, it has to be ideal. You both have to want to do this in order to find resolution in your marriage. One person cannot do it alone, not in a marriage. Number two, gospel first. The root of all of our problems is in a functional breakdown of the gospel in our lives. That is a big statement, but I want you to think about it. The gospel is Christ, processes. The gospel is Christ, his person and work. The person and work of Christ is the gospel. Jesus is the good news that all the Old Testament lovers of God were hoping to see. John the Baptist announced this good news of Christ, the gospel, and John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. To experience transformation is to practicalize Christ in your life, which begins with regeneration. You must be born again. And then after God saves you, you start walking down a pathway of incremental progressive sanctification. Gospel first, point number two. Without salvific transformation, you will not experience a sustainable life change. 
the root of all of our problems, is in a functional breakdown of the gospel in our lives. Therefore, the most vital thing that you want to assess is a person's factual transformation into a new birth. You say, Rick, factual? How will I know that? I realize that any assessment that you and I make about another person that we are helping will be subjective. I get it. But there are a few mirrors in the New Testament that you can hold up to a person. You can hold up this mirror and see if they look like that. One of those mirrors or one of those templates is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul gave us a template, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is a, that's another way of describing Christ. And so you want to see, you're not looking for the perfection of that in anyone because I do not have the perfection of that and neither do you. And so we want to be charitable in our judgments, but there must be the presence of these things, yet not the perfection of them. This is essential because the Bible is the only means that anyone can experience permanent, ongoing change. Therefore, one, they must be born again, and number two, they must be seeking to become more and more Christ-like. And this is gospel first, by the way, is what makes also what makes them an ideal counseling case. And so number one, ideal counseling, if you're not in that place, do the prerequisite work. Number two, gospel first, gospel transformation is the only thing that's sustainable. Point number three, stay on the scent. What do I mean by that? The reason Biff and Mabel came for help is that they did not know how to help themselves. Now, I know that may sound silly on the surface, but you should know this because many times a person or persons like Biff and Mabel, when they come to you, they will tell you what the problem is. And if you're not careful, you will listen and you will assume that they are experts in their analysis of soul care. Do you perceive the sanctification ingruity? If they understood the problem, they should take the proper steps to change. The truth is, they don't understand the problem. They gave you a secondary issue or a manifestation of the real problem. And you want to listen to them, but you better stay on the scent because they really do not know what the real problem is. It would be exceptional for a person with problems to articulate the root of the problem They'll talk about the symptoms. They'll talk about their practices and their behaviors and their attitudes and the fight that they had last night. But few people will ever tell you what is happening at the causal core root level. Now, I am not suggesting that you don't listen to them. I am suggesting that you listen at two levels. You listen to all that they tell you, but stay on the scent you must not lose the scent of the gospel as they talk about what's wrong with them because it is your job to lead them to the cross of Christ, the only redeeming fount that the Father opened for broken people. Now, let me give you an illustration as I wrap up this point number three, stay on the scent. Bill and Mabel said they had a communication problem. It is true. But their assessment was not the most significant problem. And it most definitely is not the starting place 
for their transformation. Now, here's an interesting question for you. If someone came to you and said they had communication problems, would you stay there and work on the communication problem, the behavioral issue that they are presenting to you? If you do, you have lost the scent because there is something functionally broken down in their hearts that is creating this secondary issue of communication problems. Number three, stay on the scent. Number four, what or why? They wanted me to help them with their talk trouble. Communication problems. They had read many books on communication, but nothing had worked. They had principles running out of their ears. And it seemed the harder they tried, the worse they became. I told them that they had started in the wrong place, as I have been saying already in this podcast. Communication was the what, but where they needed to focus was on the why. Let me give you a very short sentence. It's a Bible verse that explains the difference between the what and the why. The sentence is Ephesians 4.32. You've heard it many times. It goes like this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul told the Ephesians what to do. What or why? He told them what to do. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another. That's the what. And then he told them why they must do it. As God and Christ forgave you. What or why? To miss this invaluable point is to miss the difference between behavioral modification and gospel-centered obedience. I told Biff that what they were attempting to do was an unsustainable behavioral modification. They were trying to be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, but it was not sustainable because it wasn't rooted and motivated by the why, the gospel. Paul said again to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, because as Christ forgave you. They did intuit this because they had already been there and done that. Biff and Mabel were tired of trying things. They did not wholly discern that the first order of business must always be to make sure their motives are right. But they were starting to get there. Paul was saying, you are to do these things, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, because of the gospel. And it brings me back to the point that I made earlier about gospel first. The root of all our problems is a functional breakdown of the gospel or Christ in our lives. Think about a person who is rooted in this gospel truth that they have been forgiven by God, as God in Christ forgave you. That that is their motivation. That is their core gratitude. If that is your core gratitude, that will become your core motivation, and that will give you the fuel that you need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, because you're never, you're never a moment from this idea as God in Christ forgave you. Point number four, what or why? What is the problem and why is what you want to address? And there was a gospel breakdown in their lives. Number five, behavior speaks. Bill and Mabel had some bad fruit in their lives. It's the old illustration of the man stapling styrofoam apples from the hobby store on a fruitless limb. 
he goes out and he gets him a, a six-foot ladder. He has a, a basket that is full of those styrofoam red apples from the hobby store. Each apple is a principle. It's an action item. It's a new concept from the last book they read. And he climbs the ladder and he staples those styrofoam red apple thingies on the limbs. They put a new behavior on with much optimism and motivation. But they never renewed their minds. They dealt with the what, but not the why. They never changed their hearts. Well, next season, those old, worn styrofoam apples had fallen off to the ground, and they needed to get the six-foot ladder out, climb that ladder again with their basket of new styrofoam red apples and staple new ones to those now barren limbs. They were tired of this process, as they should be. If you have no fruit on your relational limbs— well, then you must figure out what is wrong with the root system of the tree. And so I appealed to Bill and Mabel to look within their hearts and, and set communication problems on the shelf for a while because there was corruption down below. And like a stain bleeding through white paint, there were not enough coats to cover their real issues down below. And so we needed to explore long-term shaping influences, historical patterns in their lives, decades of poor habits, inferior ways of thinking about things, and ultimately their unique relationship with Christ. You help in a person with behavioral problems, and they are, let's say, 40 years old, where you're talking about almost four decades of shaping influences that has bent them into a particular way, that is who they are. Therefore, they can only communicate a certain way. And in this case study, they communicate poorly. They have decades of historical shaping influences that has molded their hearts like a hard piece of clay. And so we want to get down there. Their behavior, point number five here, behavior speaks, their behavior is speaking to this issue in their heart, and we need to break through the crustiness to identify what those shaping influences and habits and inferior ways of thinking are that motivate them to talk in unwholesome ways. Therefore, point number six naturally goes to let's go deeper. The more I talk with Biff, the more I realize that he did have a few deep-seated insecurities nesting in his heart. His former manner of life was corrupt through deceitful desires, decades of deceitful desires. And his practice was to put on a, a new behavior without changing his heart. Well, I wanted to help him to identify and to isolate those past thoughts and attitudes and words and actions that have made him into who he is today. Let me give you a few illustrations of the kind of person that Biff is. And as you listen to these six points, well, it would only you can only surmise, well, no wonder he talks the way he does because there are things that are just broken down in his heart. Here are six quick things that describe Biff partially. Number one, uh, he, he does not ever want to be wrong. When I said that there were a few deep insecurities nesting in his heart, well, there's one of them right there. He doesn't want to be wrong, which means he always wants to be right, which means he will always be posturing. 
he will always be trying to figure out how to communicate in such a way that will always keep him in, in the right. You can imagine what kind of problematic communication that would cause. Number two, he did not want anyone to critique him. So he, he stayed away from analysis that would put him in a, a bad light. Again, that heart motivation there would, would make you manipulative in your communicative style. Number three, he did not want to take a chance. Well, that's kind of obvious. I'm not going to take a chance because if I take a chance and I fail, then I will be critiqued and I don't want to be wrong. Those were the first two things I said. He did not want to be wrong. He didn't want anybody to critique him. Therefore, he didn't take a chance. These are shaping influences that have been well-trained in him. Habituations. These heart shapes controlled his speech, which created communication problems and that's what Bill and Mabel were in counseling. Number four, he had no issue letting Mabel know when she was wrong. Imagine that. He could not be critiqued, but he did not mind elevating himself above other people and, and looking down on them and critiquing them. Number five, he was quick to critique others critically. I realize that there is some synonymous statements here, but I just want to give shade Shade to this idea so you can get a, a fuller picture of the kind of person Biff is at the heart level, which makes sense as to why he communicates this way. And then finally, he was passive, which is similar to what I was saying earlier. He did not want to take chances because he never wanted to be wrong and never wanted to be critiqued. Rather than dealing with these heart issues by bringing them to the light of the gospel, only Christ can transform these things. Rather than doing that, he tried to make himself better through self-reliant means. Now, I'm not going to go into all the detail about how Biff became the way that he was or the shaping influences from his youth that honed him into a self-sufficient man. But it did become clear that Biff leaned heavily on self-reliance, doing it his way, as I have just described in those six points. His past trained him to rely on himself rather than the Lord. Let me give you one illustration. If he, Let's say that Biff lived with a heavy-handed, authoritative, angry dad who critiqued him heavily. Well, then Biff learned to be passive. He learned not to take a chance. He learned to steer away from critique. He learned to manipulate the narrative so that he could always be in good light so he would not receive the abuse of his dad. That would just be one shaping influence, a powerful shaping influence that would make him make his heart the way it is, which is why he communicates today the way that he does. He became self-reliant, depending on himself. He learned how to navigate through the contours of a dysfunctional home in order to come out as squeaky clean as he possibly could without being critiqued or hurt or abused. The self-reliant man is working within his unique strengths that he has learned to protect himself from disappointing relationships and experiences. And from this deeper perspective, you see how the issue was not so much about Biff's communication problem, even though it was a problem, but you see the deeper issue that's his unwillingness to repent of his self-sufficiency that has been well-trained in him. Point number six, let's go deeper. Point number seven, righteous instruments. I want to take a slight right-hand turn here and talk about something that's ironic righteous instruments. In an ironic twist, their communication problems that Bill and Mabel have 
I told Biff and Mabel, even though this is a fictional case study, I've said this several times to counselees, but I told Biff that Mabel is an instrument of righteousness in the hand of the Lord that God is using to bring these deeper idolatries to light. The Father is using, or maybe permitting, Mabel to bring heat into his life, revealing and drawing out these specific things in Bill's heart that need gospel transformation. Heat does reveal that way. I have a short six-minute video that you're welcome to watch that explains this idea, but heat draws out of us things that need to come out of us. And sometimes God will use the crucible of suffering, the crucible of heat, the crucible of a spouse to draw out hidden idolatries that are in our hearts. By the way, I told Mabel the same thing, that Biff is an instrument of righteousness. Can God use sin sinlessly? Well, of course he can. God is using Biff as the heat to bring out these some insidious things that are in Mabel's heart as well. Biff and Mabel could choose to divorce, but that would not solve the real matters of the heart. That's another behavioral modification to resolve their communication problems by choosing divorce. But they wouldn't solve the real issue. They need to keep digging deeper into their former manner of life to identify the things that control their hearts that inevitably manifest from their lips. And so number seven, a slight right turn, talking about righteous instruments. Sometimes that person you live with could be God's mercy to you. Number eight, unearthing self-reliance. Now let's get into it. This self-reliant man. And so as I begin to get, uh, and woman, I'm just using Biff primary here, but all of this applies to Mabel. As I begin to get under the surface of their communication problems, I did start to see these hidden idolatries that fueled their unwholesome speech. Now, if you stacked their problems, you could really put them in two groups, in a list, and there would be 1.1.2. And so if you stacked their problems, it would sound like this. Point one would be above the surface. Point two would be under the surface. Above the surface, as you know, would be corrupt communication. Under the surface, as you would know, would be self-reliance. And so the self-reliant, self-sufficient person creates this corrupt communication. So therefore, we must get inside this self-reliant worship structure and break it apart and see what are some of the components of his, his worship structure that makes him a self-reliant human being. Self-reliance can be broken into five parts that stack on each other. And so I will start at the top and work down to the core root cause. And so what we have is a person with communication problem. That's above the surface. The first layer underneath the surface is you have the idol of control. Biff has learned to control another person through his communication. And so he's controlling Mabel through his communication. So control becomes part of the self-reliant construct. And then if you get underneath control, 
The second idol that you would find is comfort. Biff knows that if he can control the other person, then they won't hurt him. And so let's go back to the illustration of, say, his father. Biff had to find the comfort zone of how to get out from under the abuse of his father. And once he found it, he would control it. And then out of that control would come a form of communication. And so if Mabel is critiquing him, Biff would have to communicate in such a way to control her, and that would bring him comfort. For example, if Mabel was critiquing him, he could just get angry at her to shut her down. That communication gives him control, which gives him the comfort that he seeks. And so comfort is under control. And then control is under communication. Now, all this is listed out here in this article. Now, up under comfort, you have fear. Go back to Bill's relationship with his dad. He's afraid of his dad. Or Mabel, he's afraid of being critiqued. And so he has to find a comfort zone born out of fear. And once he finds it, he controls it, and then that's how he communicates. And so you have fear, which comes comfort which comes control, which comes communication. And then underneath the fear, you have this Adamic shame and internal brokenness and internal awkwardness that we all feel. We all are not comfortable to some degree or another in our own skin. And then out of that shame comes fear, which motivates a desire for comfort, which creates this control, which... Then comes our speech. And then underneath shame, you have unbelief. A person who is not trusting God, this is the root of his problems, that he, he's leaning to his own understanding. He's a self-reliant person, and out of that self-reliance, he is trying to, uh, to deal with his shame and his fear, which he does through finding his comfort zone, which leads to control and communication. And you can read all of this in this article. I said a lot. There is a one-hour webinar that breaks all this down and gives a path forward to deconstruct the self-reliant worldview. Learning how to trust God with communication problems. Thank you so much for listening.